You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show, episode 102, Monday, April 25th, 2022. How you doing, Christina Dennis? I am doing wonderful, Damon Frank. How are you? How was your weekend? It was really great. Did a little bit of traveling, uh, went to the mm-hmm. Seattle area, which was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it's shocking how different it is weather-wise, right? Like right. You, you leave Southern California and you realize like there's real weather out there. It rains. Yes. <laughs> the Northwest. Yes. There's plenty of weather. What out is there. the water? What is like the, what is this water coming from the sky? But right. good. It's, it's Monday morning and we're here and I'm so thrilled. Uh, to connect with you. I hadn't spoken with you in a couple of days. I didn't really, I I usually speak with you during the weekend to prep the show and I was gone and I know you had a good weekend. How how was your weekend? It was beautiful. Very nice. Very nice. Chilling at home. I live where a lot of people vacation to. So, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed just our weather. It was really nice down here. It is great. It is the whole Southern California vibe and the recovery vibe here is amazing as well. But it was it was interesting. A lot of people in recovery in Washington state, uh, yep. a lot in Seattle, and it has a huge, uh, a really huge community of people there. It was interesting. The hotel that we we're staying by, we drove by this place called the Recovery Cafe, and I've got to look into it to see, I think oh, wow. it was a coffee shop for just for people in recovery. And I thought, oh, that's great. We could, uh, hopefully they're playing the Recovered Life Show podcast there at the Recovery Cafe. So good it. to see everybody. Good to see everybody today. Episode 102. It's Monday, April 25th, 2022. We've got a really great show for you. Two mm-hmm. jam-packed, informative, make-you-think segments coming up here. One of right. which was found by Christina Dennis, and I can't wait to get into it. Before we do that, though, I want to let everybody know this show is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. Please like, share, follow, and leave us a comment so that we can keep bringing you stories that you're interested in. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can join the network, which is completely free, and leave us a donation that allows us to continue to help others. That's info.recoveredlife.us. Well, Christina, thank you so much for mentioning that. You know, one addition that I wanted to make sure at the very start of the show, something very exciting happened last week on the Recovered Life Show, is we added a new element to our podcast, and that's the Recovered Life Discussions. And we added the first one from my unstuck room uh, this uh, on Thursday, and uh, it was really great. And people really like it. There were some comments that people really enjoyed being able to listen to these discussions as well as the live show here. Such good stuff comes up in those discussions. And it really, it really helps us all to connect at a deeper level. I love being part of them. So I'm glad that we're doing it. It's really, really great. These discussions and more about those and how you can access them later on in the show. But I'd like to get into it here because we got a really great segment coming up. And yes. it is, uh, I got to give you the title because I love this title. How to identify an egomaniac with an inferior complex. So <laughs> true. Why, why are we doing a segment on this? Well, you've heard it, right? I mean, I think that, you know, I I came up with this topic because I was watching uh, the documentary on HBO and a person in recovery was speaking up. It was in the Atlas of the Heart uh, segment series that she's doing, Brene Brown's doing, and he, he brought it out. And I really 
I really, you know, I'd heard it so many times in the beginning of my recovery in the rooms. And I have to tell you, I didn't always identify with it. And I think that this is going to be a very cool discussion to have with you because I still believe, and she addressed it, that the egomaniac and the inferiority complex are actually living together, that they're not the spectrum that people think they are. There's not this huge distance between them. I got to ask you before we go on, um, Christina, what is an egomaniac? Because okay. I think um, I don't really quite totally understand that myself. So what 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 is it? When you I love say it. egomaniac, what, what does that mean? Okay. According to the article that we have attached to the show, egomaniac is known as someone suffering from an obsessive preoccupation with oneself and applies to to someone who follows their own ungoverned impulses and is possessed by delusions of personal greatness and feels a lack of appreciation. That's mm -hmm. how they defined it, which I think is a little, I think that was a good definition. Don't you? I mean, that really fit how I felt when I got here. You know, I do. And this is, this is interesting. I'm going to bring this up on the screen for the people who are watching on uh, YouTube or watching the replay of this. Um, this, this, article is from a recovery center called Palm Partners. And just to know, just so everybody can, well, we're going to put a link in the description box uh, in, in the podcast and on, and in the actual show for Facebook and wherever you might be listening to it. But what's interesting about this is, is, you know, so many times we hear Christina, mm -hmm. that alcoholism and drug addiction and any addiction generates from the obsession with self. So right. I guess what I was going to, you know, when I read this, I thought, well, is Christina saying that everybody who comes in to recovery and in some level is, is an egomaniac because you are obsessed with yourself, obviously. Yes. Yes, I am. I think even people with low self-esteem are still obsessed with themselves. I had uh, somebody I really admire in recovery. She used to say, I'm not much, but I'm all I ever think about. And I felt like that really, really shared it. I, uh, you know, exactly how I felt when I came into recovery. You know, the the part that people don't see who aren't in recovery is the enormous amount of shame and the inferiority complex that actually comes with it as well, which is why I thought this was a great topic for us Monday morning, because a lot of people outside of the recovery world might see this person who's very boisterous and selfish and, you know, the things that we do when we are in active addiction and kind of believe wow, that person has no shame, you know, they're shameless, yeah. which is not true. And so, uh, you know, I'm an egomaniac with the inferiority complex is something that we often hear in the rooms. And the way that the article describes it is, you know, I thought kind of like very, very good as far as definitions, but they broke it down into six. What do you think about that statement, though? I've got to know before we move forward. Uh, the about uh, I'm an egomaniac. Yeah, I'm an egomaniac yeah. with an inferiority complex. Did that fit? You, no, you know, it's interesting because I think I think you really tapped into something that's interesting. There are different personality types and there mm -hmm. are people that are more, I would say, type A, they're more boisterous, they're going to connect with people that are going to, they're the people who are going to share their first day. They're going to mm -hmm. write that the, these are the type that the, the personality trait and um, and then there's people who will kind of sit in the back of the room and not say anything for months, maybe a right. year, right? Like I've known people right. like that too. And then there's everybody in the middle. And I think 
what you tapped on that's interesting is it's not necessarily how they act on the inside or the outside. It's what they're thinking and feeling on the inside. And this obsession with self, we know, look, 12 steps is all about the whole beginning of the 12 steps is all about powerlessness and the obsession with self. So we know that, you know, I guess what you're saying here is, is that just the obsession with self makes you an egomaniac to a certain degree. Exactly. Exactly. Because I didn't identify with it because I wasn't. um, Well, I I don't know. I had two parts of me. Right. Which is exactly what this is saying. I had the part of me that needed the alcohol to become the life of the party. But underneath there was a true scared introvert, you know, that really wanted to, um, you know, use codependency in order to be liked. And it is the obsession of self that I think needs to be pulled out because egomania might be somebody who thinks um, that this person is going to be bigger than life or they don't see it in themselves that they happen to be a little shyer or a little more subdued. Some of the the, uh, ways that you can figure out if, if you are an egomaniac or if you are in relationship with an egomaniac is that exaggeration is something that egomaniacs use. And that checks the box, right? We exaggerate. We, you know, uh, look at um, overemphasizing ourselves in order to promote our worth and our image while secretly fighting the feeling of less than. And that I believe is completely true. So second one is ridicule. If you have somebody and you're in a relationship or you find yourself to be a person who ridicules others, I mean, that is a, a check in that area that you are showing such unrealistic standards towards somebody else and expectations. You know, all of us have been around somebody that is like that. I deal with this all the time when we're working within family systems, right? Where it's like they never ever say a kind word, but we know underneath there that shame is driving that. That as hard as this person is being on you, they are being as hard, you know, and unaccepting of themselves. And so there's some compassion that's needed when we're dealing with people fishing for compliments. Did you fish for compliments? I did. Yes. Yes, I did. I I definitely did. And I think that the, um, you know, the, the, the fourth thing, the hypersensitivity being hypersensitive, you know, that's Mm -hmm. definitely something I, I, I think really though, when it comes down to it, because look, we have a, the 12 steps is, was really genius. It r- mm-hmm. really, when you think about it and I'm going to really pick out AA in particular here, the study of AA, right? Okay. Not necessarily the application of AA because we have proof of the application of AA, but the study of AA, the text of AA, where it talks about this self-obsession, this yes. obsession of self being the root of this issue and that being tied into unmanageability and powerlessness. And, you know, and I'm saying that specifically for people who are new to recovery, they're right. identifying more with powerlessness and unmanageability and the obsession of self, right? Yes. And I think that this huge, you know, uh, thinking back, one of the big uh, obsessive things that I was able to let go of, one of the big first spiritual awakenings, which is what the 12 steps actually is pointing to, right? Like, you're going to have the spiritual awakening and then this is going to relieve you, right? Let's get to give you, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to help you. Right. But the first thing is it's not all about you, right? Right. The, the, the first, the first big spiritual awakening, I think people learn after the powerlessness and the manageability thing is, Hey, it's not all about me. 
Right. Right. There's other things going on in other people. So I would say that, you know, baked into alcoholism is this, uh, you know, egomaniac uh, obsession with self. I just think it doesn't come out like people think an egomaniac is. Right. I think right. people think that egomaniacs are running around saying it's all about me all the time and blah, blah. And I think a lot of times this obsession with self comes across as not being able to take care of yourself. Lack right. of self-care, to be yes. honest with you. It's the opposite. Exactly. And that's what makes it confusing when you go after codependency, because in codependency, part of the treatment or recovery is starting to think of self again, but think of self in an honest way, rather than asking somebody else to take care of you, which is what I did in my alcoholism and my codependency. It actually puts the onus and the responsibility on oneself. And, you yes. know, first we get right-sized, then we figure out how to take care of ourselves right-sized without expecting other people to do it. Yeah. You know, I think that um, what this taps on, which is so interesting, is that the, the this, this, where it goes wrong with the obsession of self. And we know, one of the things that we know for sure is that the ability to be able to uh, stop thinking is, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about this on Recovered Life discussions all the time about like, well, how do you get out of this? If you're constantly thinking about yourself all the time, right? Right, right. Uh, what I find is, and you know, we talk about this in the unstuck room constantly is part of the problem with alcoholics is recovered alcoholics is they can't execute. Yeah. They can't do anything <laughs> because they're constantly thinking about their role in it, what they're going to do, right? You know, the yes. whole thing. They're obsessed with themselves and right. thinking about themselves, even though it might, I think people think when you're an egomaniac, it's all positive about yourself. But yes. I, I find that alcoholism, it's all negative for the most part. So, so true. And underneath that is real negativity. And we dress it up with this yes. bolstered, you know, bravado that isn't real. And yes. I think that the that the outside world that maybe is not in recovery is starting to understand that when they talk about imposter syndrome, you know, they're starting to I'm starting to see the world kind of catch up to where we have been in recovery going, wow, wow, I'm not yeah, this isn't working anymore. I, I, I'm expecting way too much out of myself and the standards are too high. Another one is you hate losing. Well, that one's kind of a gimme, right? Yeah. 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 I, I don't look, we were just talking about this before the show. I hate losing. Mm -hmm. And just because you hate losing doesn't mean that you're an egomaniac, but it could be mean a bunch of different things, but hating to lose is definitely something that, you know, I think this is the main reason that people die of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Is that yes. they believe, you know, look, we see this all the time as a coach, Christina, is that they come in and they think that they're somehow going to be able to get the upper hand. Right. Uh, right. Without, they somehow feel that they're going to be able to pull it off. And this is the delusion that we're talking about with uh, with with being an egomaniac. So, so true. The last one, which I thought was really interesting, but it makes sense if you're self-centered is problem with paying attention and how that is within a relationship and how difficult it is. You know, when I was obsessed with self, it was hard for me to even see other people. However, I kind of dressed it up with codependency. Does that make sense? Yes. Like I, yeah, but yeah. the motive in codependency was always that the other person needed to take care of me. 
And I'm reminded of the great line that Bette Midler said in Beaches, you know, enough about me, you know, enough about me to her friend, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? (laughs) And I thought that was hysterical, but so true. You know, the thing is about codependency that I think that people don't, and you know, you might not agree with me on this one, Okay, but I find that codependency and, and having suffered from this too, is, you know, um, so much about the practical application of being a codependent mm-hmm. is about carrying on this con. Yes. Was is yourself. You're yes. conning yourself that you're actually doing this to help other people, but really in at the core, it's really all about you and what you're getting out of it. Right. And, and, and control. And control, right? Which is mm-hmm. what you're getting out of it a lot of times, right? This right. control issue. And you talk a lot about this in Recovered Life discussions about how, uh, you know, about letting go of this control, the identification. I think one of the most amazing things have been in recovery is when you realize that you might have codependency traits and they might be simple and innocent, right? Like they might right. not really affect a lot of people. It just might be a trait. Like you talk about and can't say no about always having to be the person that makes the brownies for the baseball team or always the person who's over volunteering and stuff. It might be, you know, and there might not be an outwardly aggressive egomaniac thing going on in that group. It's just, you're doing it to yourself. You're, you're, you're the, you're the victim. And it's this con that, that people tell themselves. It's like, no, really, this is all about other people, but really at the end of the day, it's all about them. It's so, so is. And, you know, I believe codependency is another word for the fawn trait, you know, which is a trauma response. And it's something that we learn early in. I just um, I just think that that everybody is much more complicated than they realize. And that shame is underneath all of addiction somewhere. And so regardless of how we present It's this, you know, to me, it's being backed into a corner, trying to figure out how do I live life right-sized, which is another one of my favorite words or phrases from the program, and realize that I'm one of many, that I do not have to be the lead every single day. And there's some real freedom in that surrender. Yeah. And I think um, this is the dance, right? When we're talking Mm -hmm. about this, this is the dance with... You know, I think everybody is an egomaniac to a certain degree. Everybody thinks about themselves more than they probably should, right? Like, right. so I don't think that this is exclusive to uh, recovery, people. In Not recovery. at all. But I think to identify this, what you really tapped on here, I think the power of this is to identify where in your life that you might be an egomaniac when it comes to obsessive thought. Yes. Because I think it's harder. Like, look, the reality is, is that when people come into recovery, they do have a lot of needs. And in yes. a way, they need to make it all about them. And sometimes that the family members need to make it all about them and their recovery, right. right? Like, what does what does this person need in which to stay sober? Because if you, like we always say, Christine, if you can't stay sober, none of this stuff really matters. Like, you're right. not going to... You're not going to be able to work on your true self if you can't stay sober. You're not going to be able to work on your spiritual connection or so your true. life skills if you can't stay sober. You know, it's kind of one of those contradictories uh, in 12-step, which is it's a selfish program, but yet our 12-step is about being of service to others. And so I always love the complexity of these concepts. And as uh, having lived experience, I can tell you that when I can walk into a place or be part of a community and be one of many, 
you know, not overstate my qualifications, not understate them either. If I can keep in mind that I want to remain useful, then I'm in a much better place mentally. Well, I had to absolutely. And I had to mention this too, because one of the things that was in here was this whole thing about fishing for compliments. I love which it. Which is interesting. <laughs> and and, I, and I'll admit that I will do that sometimes as well, because sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a doer, if you're a doer, sometimes it's you realize that you got into things that maybe you shouldn't have done, right. or you service <laughs> things that you shouldn't have done. And then yeah. you're like, well, no one's noticing me doing it. Right. Like, and you know, I don't have those thoughts a lot. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, but I, it's human to have those thoughts. Like, you know, uh, this is not exclusive to people that are in recovery, right? Like that's no. why they have award shows, right. Yes. To, to acknowledge, right. Like that's why they have people get awards for things. Um, one of the disciplines in ACOA, you'll love this, is that you will do something nice for somebody else without being found out. And that really yes. tells you how much you want to do it. Right. You know, if you do something nice without telling the person, then you're really you're really getting into that place of service. <laughs> That's so funny because I was going to mention that, too. I will tell you one of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had with people in working with people is this application of, you know what, what I want you to do is I want you to go out and do five great things this week yes. that you're going to be of service for people, but you're not going to tell anybody but me. Right. Right. And, you know, sometimes you see people will say, you know what, I'm really upset about this. And what it comes out is this identification of being an egomaniac right. of and there and, and a lot of people I've had a lot, a lot of people that have breakthroughs with that is to say, like, you know what, why am I so upset that I can't tell other people about this? This right. whole thing about fishing for compliments. And it's like, but out of that, it's really weird. You start to see a breakthrough of, hey, you know what? why, what, what's this about? Why do I have to always feel like I have to tell people the good things that I did? Isn't just the good things enough. Right. Yes. And I've seen a lot yes. of breakthroughs in that area and I've had breakthroughs in that area. Me too. Like, yeah, right. I mean, doesn't everybody, Christina, to a certain degree have something in their life where they feel that they want to have some sort of compliment about. Absolutely. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but when you live for it, when you live, when you twist yes. yourself into a pretzel to get the praise, you're still at the mercy of others. And what we learn in recovery by doing this work is that the self-love that we start learning how to have, you know, how to focus on, you know, a real self-love means that we already feel good about ourselves and anything anybody else piles on is extra. Absolutely. You know, and I think this is such a, and thank you so much for bringing this to my attention, this article. And I hope that this helps people listening to this because I think at first glance, everybody says, oh, I have no, e you know, I have no mm -hmm. ego tendencies. Right. I am devoid of ego, right? Like, yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, I've, heard, I've, nothing. I've worked on this so much. I have nothing. Yeah. yeah. But I think everybody has something. And I think that this is the, at the very, very, very end, right, of the day. Mm -hmm. I think that the big lesson for people in recovery is to really ask this question. It's like, you know, I say this question a lot, a lot of times when I start feeling frustrated that other people aren't getting it, right. that's a sign that it's like, well, no, I want it to go my way. Yes. And I'm, I'm now choking out any opportunity, right? We talk about this. Totally. Choking out any opportunity for God, the universe, life to bring yes. me something better than what I have or more right. appropriate than what I have. And this question to ask yourself constantly is, 
you know, uh, it's not all or the statement. I would say it's not all about me. Right. You know, I think when I thought when I when I have those thoughts, I say that statement. It's not all about me. There's yes. other people in the world right, yes. that need to get what they need to get. And there's other people that are in my sphere, whether that's the family, coworkers or whatever. They also have needs and they need to get those met as well. So true. So true. Don't don't block your miracles. Don't block your miracles. Great words of advice, Christina Dennis. Thank you so much for bringing this article to our attention and really a great discussion. We want to hear what you have to say. So definitely put your comments in the threads, like, share, follow. I have to, I have to uh, say, Christina, before we go into the next segment, which I think everybody is really going to enjoy as well, is I need to mention uh, the Recovered Life community and how you can help out the Recovered Life community. If you always listen to the podcast, if this is your go-to recovery check-in, we so appreciate you. A really simple way to do it is to like, share, and follow. But if you want to take your support to the next level and make a small donation, you can do that at info.recoveredlife.us. And what that does is it helps us help others, right? And yeah. that's the best thing about recovery is that when you get to a place where you can help other people. So this is definitely a way to do that. And you can access everything there and make that doma donation. Also join the Recovered Life community just by going to info.recoveredlife.us. Uh, That's info.recoveredlife.us. Christina awesome. Dennis, you excited about the next segment we've got? I am. Up? I am. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be good, guys. Hold tight. Uh, we've got a little 10-second break, and we're going to be back with segment number two. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. Welcome back. Are you excited about this next episode? I know you are, Damon. This hits Oh, home. yes. This is going to be this is going to be a good one. I definitely relate to this. Uh and I'm really looking to jumping into uh this topic. Before this we top, do though, topic I'm... of college drinking. <laughs> yes. Before we do though, I want to remind everybody this show's being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. Please like, share, comment. Tell us if you relate to egomaniac with inferiority complex. Uh, leave us a comment. And also visit info.recoveredlife.us where you can make those donations that Damon was just speaking of and join the network, info.recoveredlife.us. You know, Christina, one of the things I want to mention before we go on here in the next segment is that uh -huh. I love what you said, if you relate as an egomaniac, right? We were talking about that last segment. Um, what one of the things that I think is interesting about the show has been the experience, uh, my, my experience with recovery and also doing the show because look, we're well past 100 episodes now. We're Yay. got a ton of content. Yay, it was just really great, you know. And it was interesting. We we mentioned on uh, Recovered Life in the community. We told people that we had, you know, that we had reached that 100 episode mark, and there were a lot of comments from people that I hadn't talked to for a while. Yeah, and a lot of the times it's interesting because. I found the show in my own recovery, picking topics that kind of scared me a little bit. Good. Like, yes. Who wants to talk about, like, I know, Christina, like the last thing that you really want to do is talk about at, you know, decades of recovery that you have is like, maybe I have some egomaniac tendencies. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> who really wants to do that, right? No one, no one. I tell I tell my clients that all the time, and they're like, "But I I I don't want to, you know, go through that painful past." I said that makes you sane. Nobody does. Nobody does. We're our human. Nobody does. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what? But what I was going to say about this is, and this this leads into my the the next uh, the next segment that we have here is that um, a lot of the times I think by going identifying. Like I've been able to identify the feeling of an uncomfortable mm -hmm. conversation. Like yes. this topic is uncomfortable about it. And through my recovery, I've taken those and maybe written those down on a three by five card, Christina, and mm -hmm. said, you know, and maybe it's too even painful to look at, but then to say, it's like, Hey, why do I feel uncomfortable here about mm -hmm. this topic? To start to kind of unpack that a little bit. Right. And to start having conversations with other people about it. Yes. And it's been interesting, this process, because um, I don't think everybody walks into recovery saying, hey, you know what? I'm cool with every topic and I'm I'm no. going to be open and honest about every topic. I find that that doesn't exist. Oh, when I when we just went through the last topic, the first thing that I thought when I saw it was I'm so sick of this. You know, <laughs> I hate this yeah. statement. I hate it. But as we go through and go a little deeper it, it really brings uh, me back online and allows me to connect. And connection yeah. is something that um, alcoholism ripped away from me. It did. It stole my connection. Absolutely. So it's well, worth it. Well, you know, guys, if you're, if, you're listening to the, if you're listening to this segment or other segments and you feel a little bit triggered there, I say write that down and dive into it. And that's what the show is really all about, is to explore these topics in a little bit more in-depth than maybe you could do at a local 12-step group or with your therapist. Right. It's just to have these conversations with people that are in recovery so you can live your best recovered life. Christina, I'm going to bring up this little, I'm going to announce this yes. little uh, next segment here because I found this and I really related to this here. Uh, so let me put this up on the screen. I found this article from CBC. It's a Canadian broadcaster and, and uh, this was she quit university due to an alcohol problem. Now sober, mm -hmm. she landed a $35,000 scholarship. So and good. It was so good. And I'm going to tell you guys, I want to dive in a little bit about my experience uh, with drinking in college, because that is when things really spun out of control for me, right? Yes. Like is because I didn't have, um, you know, Christina, I didn't really have a, uh, I didn't have a control system there, right? right. There weren't enough eyes on me to be quite yes. honest with you in my college experience. And a lot of it was just the time. And the yes. age, right? Yes. But so many kids, and you know, this this article that I want to bring up, what I found interesting about this is about second chances, right? Yes. And I'm going to bring this up on screen here because I think this is so good. This article dives into uh, this woman's uh, alcohol issue and about how she slowly started to drift away mm -hmm. from college. Because, mm -hmm. and, and, and you know what, because she was drinking like, uh, you know, she was drinking not like other people. And I've got it here up here on, uh, up on the screen. I think you can see it, but yes. it's, it's about how alcohol took over her life. Right. And I think it's so, I think it's so interesting. And, um, that's what happened to me. That is really? what happened to me, honestly. Yeah. Now I was able to get through it right and then go on and then got sober in grad school but it did it took it took it slowly 
it, it got to a point where it took over my, my life. And I think so many people, so many kids, uh, bounce out of college right? because of alcoholism. Yes. Right. They really do. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I know that wasn't necessarily your path necessarily, no. but it's like, I so related to this, you well, know, and I so related to this. It's important as an interventionist, a lot of times, a lot of the people that need that intervention are of this age, interestingly enough. And so as a parent of a 17 year old um, and, you know, my friends have children about the same age, a lot of times we can miss it or think that it's just party lifestyle and they couldn't handle the responsibility. And so I love that you're bringing up that age in particular. Um, specifically, because, you know, we talked about it last week in the show, people don't grow out of alcoholism. They, they don't, you know, of course, there are certain people that the, the, the boundaries are off, the governor is off and they go wild. But what she talks about is the alcoholism that I'm familiar with, which is it takes literally over my entire, it took over my entire life. And my governor was that I had to support myself and there wasn't the freedom, which I'm grateful for because it allowed me to get sober. But it's such a, a precarious age. Um, your brain isn't fully formed and you add alcohol on top. And, you know, we still haven't determined exactly why one third of us ends up having an addiction. But it's it's something that we should talk about um, and about you know, not only alcohol poisoning, which is, I do think discussed, but actually what long lasting addiction can look like. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I related so much, and we've got this up on screen here, is she talks about her friend that she traveled to school with, mm -hmm. and about how they were roommates, and that within that year, her roommate packed up all her stuff and left and said, I can't handle this anymore. So this true. is beyond right. And I, and it was so funny when I read this, I'm going to be honest, Christina, I had a little flashback. Did of you a friend that I had not seen that I had really not thought about in years. And we had actually all traveled as a group to mm -hmm. go to college together. Right. And we were all transferring into this college together. And when we had transferred, when we had gone over to do this, right. Mm -hmm. I, I remember within about six months, of this guy basically telling me, it's like, I can't hang around you anymore. Like I have to study, I have to do right. And right. 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 And, right. Right. And I literally had a flashback and I was like going, Oh my God, this was my experience. People slowly started to peel away from me because yes. I was out drinking them. Right. Yes. Yes. I was Absolutely. out drinking them. And, and unfortunately for me, just to put that, yeah, I went me. to school. I, I, well, I went to school in a city. So, um, what happened was I had access to off campus. So by the time I was done, right. By the time I was done with those people at school, but I wasn't done with school. Yes. I had gone on to find other alcoholics Yes, in the bar scene in the city that were older than me that would, that could keep up. Absolutely. Like I remember very clearly in my drinking, you know, and I didn't start drinking till I was 21. So I think, you know, if I had started earlier, um, I would have had a similar experience. But by the time I was 21, I remember people, you know, everyone around me drank like I did. Um, and I remember one boyfriend in particular who just couldn't handle it. 
and was like, yeah, I can't go out with you anymore because this is just too much. But what I did was easily, like we talk about burning the village down, you know, <laughs> in 12 steps, you know, we burn it down. It was very easy for me at that time just to let people go away, just to figure out, you know, they're, they're too uptight and make it about them. I could not see um, for my own sake what I was doing to myself. Well, it's so interesting now looking back at a, you know, a, you know, 50 something plus of age. <laughs> Is that hard to almost, say? You know, well, yeah. Uh, having <laughs> almost like several, you know, having, you know, almost three decades of recovery looking back on this um, and having, you know, we both have kids and, mm -hmm. and starting to look at these colleges and stuff. And yes. you realize, like, I looked around the other weekend when I was, you know, in this college town. And you could see them literally, right? Like really? you would go through fraternity row or shorty row, or you would go through where the local bars were at the stuff and you could see it. And I think back and I say, you know, man, I wish somebody would have, like, I wish I would have known about recovery right then. Right. Now right. it's interesting looking back on it. There were signs, there were professors, there mm -hmm. were, uh, there was medical people. Mm -hmm. told me it's like, Hey man, like, something's not right with you, but no one yes. really caught it and intervened. Now I think that there's more education about it. Like when I yes. listen to kids talk about it now, I think the drugs are harder. Mm -hmm. You know, like we've talked about kids taking ketamine on yes. college. Like, my God, like that's like, you know, horrible. But then, you know, but I also think on the top of that, there's, you know, there's designer drugs, there's all this other stuff. But then on top, there's also this awareness that, hey, one third of us might become addicted to this. Yes. And we've got to look out for those people. I do believe that that's out there a lot more. It is. It really is. I mean, uh, I had a, in, uh, I was very sickly, shocker, right? Because I was drinking 10 to 25 cocktails a night. You know, I don't know how I kept a job. And I remember one doctor saying, yeah, these, this liver function, that's interesting because that usually only shows up when somebody's drinking alcohol, alcoholically. And that was the only time anything was said to me. And here I was going to doctor after doctor. Now, very clearly, if you tell somebody, you know, it's on the it's on the actual intake sheet. You know, how many drinks do you drink a week? Have you had a past? And I think that we, as we continue to take the moral issue out of addiction, the more that people will recognize and say, yeah, this this is you know this is not okay. And we need to watch you more carefully. I really can't believe uh, to the binge drinking that I did that I'm still on this planet sometimes when I now yeah. know the danger of alcohol. Oh, I look back and I was like, it is a total miracle, right? It's a total mm -hmm. miracle. But, you know, one of the things I want to make sure, because really the point of this article was really about second chances and about yes. how the schools and and I would also say the community Mm -hmm. think about alcoholism and about, you know, if you guys, I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes because it's such a great article. And she talks about needing to hail Mary after yeah. she'd failed out and all this other stuff and about how they have built this at the St. Mary's university environmental society, that they had built this, uh, scholarship for people who were now sober that wanted to go back to school. Yeah. She's a couple years older, but she's just like, look, I need a Hail Mary. And the mm -hmm. reason she needs a Hail Mary is because, look, 
let's be honest, if you were uh, in your early 20s and had bipolar disorder and then had to leave school, the school would be much more receptive yes. of yes. you coming back if you got treatment and you identified that. Not so much with alcoholism. They no. look at it as a moral uh, a moral issue still. A right? failing, yes. A failing. A failing, right? And I love this because I think this is a clear sign. It's like, and I think having people that have recovered from alcoholism in the college campus situation, I think is so good because we always talk about peer support. Yes. But look, when you're, when you're 18, 19 years old, you're not going to relate to a 54 year old man. No, no, you're, you're not. I didn't. You know what? Like when I was in my twenties, I was like, what are you talk? What are you talking oh, about? Oh yes. Right? Yes. Me too. Me too. I like, you know, Gabri is such a beacon of light because she is a Gen Zer and she speaks so openly about recovery. She's on the show a lot. And I think that people are starting to have um, role models that talk about their sobriety out and out. We do deserve second chances, right? If you have somebody in your family that is suffering from alcoholism remember that it's not a moral issue and they deserve a second chance. Once we get the booze out of us, once we can move through that, we can then show up and be amazing citizens, often more productive than maybe somebody who isn't in recovery because somebody gave us a second chance. Yeah. And I think that that's the whole thing. You know, I know a lot of people that are in the legal profession and for years they were not able to say that they were sober because mm -hmm. they didn't want it to be used against them. Totally right. True. And, and it's just it's so it's so ridiculous at this point when I look at this. But I you know, this really this honestly, when I when I stumbled on this article, Christina, it made me feel good. It made good. me feel good. It's like, you know what? Wow. I, this is like this is needed. Right. Yes. This is needed. And this isn't for everyone. Right. And I do. You know, I think there's two sides of this coin. It's like, yes, are people that like if you failed out of school or you did something in your job, right? When you, you didn't show up or you didn't perform and do what you're supposed to do because you were suffering from alcoholism, you're still responsible for those that, for what you did. I'm not saying that, right? I think taking responsibility for the actions that you do is super, super important. But I think that the community though has to be open, especially with young people, especially like if you're in your twenties, I would mm -hmm. say in teens and you've identified that alcoholism or drug addiction or something is going on with you. It even could be eating, sex, any of these addictions. And you've identified that, you know what? I'm suffering from this and I want to recover and I don't want to live this way. Right. I, I think that and I don't want to live this way. Right. I, I think that should be rewarded in life. It absolutely should. It really, really should. And I think the more that we do look at it as a country and as a world, the more we're going to get some of these things, you know, these things that we want as far as incarceration, poverty, all of that. So I'm really glad that, you know, addiction is becoming more commonplace. Well, I, I am too. And thank you so much for talking with me about this segment Really great show today, Christina. Good Monday yes. show. A lot of information. I yes. got to plug real quick, uh, Recovered Life Discussions, which we're going to be playing another one on the podcast. So if you're listening on the podcast, you will be hearing more Recovered Life Discussions. And a lot of people want to know, how do you connect with Christina Dennis? How do you connect with Damon Frank? Well, how you connect with us is on Recovered Life. And mm -hmm. you can join for free by going to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. You're going to find out all about 
the Recovered Life discussions. And we've got one coming up here at 9 a.m. Pacific, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9 a.m. We always have Recovered Life discussions on Clubhouse. You can find all about it at recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. Become a member totally for free. Takes less than a minute. It's going to plug you into all kinds of exclusive content. So good. And when you join it, make sure to follow me and say hello. Say hi to us. Absolutely. We want to connect with people. Connect with Christina Dennis and myself on Recovered Life. Christina, episode 102, Monday, April 25th, 2022, in the can. We'll see you guys this week. Have a beautiful Monday, everybody. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.